welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. Well, my name is Pastor Jorg, and I get to hang out with you guys today and and, uh, share the word, and I'm excited because we're in this new series called Veritas, where we're exploring the truth of God's word. And last week, uh, Jesse opened up, Jesse, you did open up last week, Veritas, and you, you mentioned that in order to get to the truth of God's word, we need to start at the very beginning in the book of Genesis. And we're going to be doing that. We're going to be going into the truth of God. And we're going to be strengthening the foundation of, of what we believe and why we believe it. So we need to do this because we need to do what 1 Peter 3.15 says. And that is, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but to do this with gentleness and respect. Guys, do you guys know those people that you run into, whether it's like at work or, you know, friends that you just kind of rub shoulders with, and they're like kind of like your sandpaper, and man, you know when someone tends to be a little bit abrasive, and they're loud and obnoxious when they truly believe what they believe, but it's almost like they don't really believe it. But they're, they're putting themselves in, put themselves in a position where they, they could talk louder than you, and then therefore you have to kind of give in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they just, it, it, to, I have a lot of friends like that. I spent a lot of time in the atheist camps. I spent a lot of time with, with friends that, you know, are adamant about the fact that there is no God. And they can be so loud and so condescending and so mean. And, but listen to what Peter says, just... But do this with gentleness and respect. There's something about confidence. When we know that we know, we could be gentle and we could be respectful with the, the truth of God's word. I love it. So guys, we're going to be getting into the image of God this morning. This is going to be a huge message. I know for me, the image of God... It's so important for us to grasp. Um, we all want to see the face of God, right? Does everybody in this room, you, you want to know the one that you're worshiping, right? We, we hear this being said, but it's interesting. It's, it, we find it in, in poems and in song lyrics or even in the people's stories. They want to know the face of God. But it's not just in the Christians that we hear this. Honestly, you hear this everywhere. You hear this in the words and the poems and the songs of even unbelievers. Robert Frost here says something in a, in a poem titled, Not All There. I turn to speak to God about the world's despair. But to make bad matters worse, I found God wasn't there. God turned to speak to me. Don't anybody laugh. God found I wasn't there, at least not over half. You have, you're going to have to stop and think about that for a minute. It's deep. It's a very short poem, but it's deep. The most skeptical men toy with the idea of God. And also with our role with God. It's kind of interesting. We hear Joan Osborne, probably in the most quoted from the pulpit songs relating to secular artists, What If God Was One of Us? 
right? You guys remember that tune? It was like on the radio seven times every minute. And uh, again, who is he and what does he look like and is he here with us? And what would our reaction be? So when I look up back at my upbringing, just real quick, I realize that the image of God was not really well communicated or imagined by my parents. Now, I'm not knocking them. They, they read me the Bible stories, and they, they shared with me the word. They, they told me all about it. But it wasn't until I was about 12 years old that I began to develop the, the image of God for myself. When I started pouring in myself into reading Proverbs, that was a big one for me. Proverbs, just I began to see the character of God, began to see the image. I, I began to formulate it in my mind. And it was like the, the words of Genesis, they would just leap off the page. And it was so powerful because I wanted to know the God that wrestled with Jacob. I wanted to know the God that, that uh, appeared to Gideon, that gave Samson power. And then the one who convinced Noah to spend 250 years building a floating animal, hospital, uh, animal hotel. I mean, it's that kind of person. I wanted, to, I wanted to know who he was. I knew that God was real to my parents, though. Especially when my mom started crying out to God, running away from us four boys into her prayer closet because she couldn't handle it anymore, and she needed sanity. Jesus, give me sanity. I could just remember. The door would shut, and I would be like, where'd mom go? (laughs) Spending time with Jesus. (laughs) A lot of crying and weeping. You could imagine. You know, there's another way that we develop an image of God, and that's through the people that we surround ourselves with and our own experiences. I have to ask you the question, though, guys. Do you think that that image of God is wrong? Do you think that image of God was distorted? The Babylonian culture, which is modern Iraq, this culture took partial truths of the Genesis biblical story of creation, and they created their own story that had to do with many different gods, six different generations of gods, that created parts of our world. This disordered version uh, was developed between the age of 700 B.C. to 1100 B.C. There's arguments as to when that was actually developed, that story was developed. But this creation myth accounts for these gods, and they would make the, there was a god of the air that created the air, there was a god of the earth that created the earth, and there was a god of the water that created the water, and then there were generations of gods that came after those gods that actually began to create, that continually create on earth what we have here today, up until the point where we had man. But in this twisted story, man is called savage man. Man was born to be slave to the gods. Who would fill their heads with a myth like that? Think about it. We look at this this distortion and 
It's a massive distortion of who God is, number one. It's a massive distortion of creation if we're, uh, if we're looking at Genesis as being the authority of all creation. But where would this actually come from? And I believe that this is one of the tactics of our ancient enemy, filling the minds of these spiritual leaders with dreams and visions. Just quickly throw up your hand if you've had a dream given to you by God and you know it. It's a lot of you guys. Do you know that the enemy works in the same way to people that are involved in areas of witchcraft? They open themselves up to other things. And so this, the, the enemy takes this idea and twists it and forms it and it's passed down from generation to generation not surprisingly, without any kind of opposition as to, as to the, the situation, is it fact or fiction? They took this, this myth as this is how it was done. Yeah, in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says there's a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he twists. This Distorted worldview makes man savage, and he makes man slave. I want to pose to you this question. This question. It's the, it's the uh, slaves or heirs. Which one do you want to be? Slaves or heirs? Yeah. I mean, we all kind of go, yeah, duh. So why was it then that we began to kind of gravitate towards this myth that man was made to be a slave. It's deviant. And I'll tell you why. I think it's because of our carnality. We have a sinful nature that wants to rule us. And we also, we live in this sinful nature. It's our flesh. It's what we're living in right now. But we have this enemy that comes in and wants to distort and wants to tweak with the truth and twist the, the truth and appeal to our flesh so that we buy into these lies. And we're going to be talking about this next week a little bit more in greater depth. But it's important to understand our nature and where we began. And to know that what we have today, what we live in today, is actually not the original design. Can we all be honest with you? If we look at the Garden of Eden and we look at where we are today, it looks nothing like the Garden of Eden. Our bodies surely don't think, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, what would I look like? You know? We need to start at the beginning in Genesis to understand how we were created and what image we were created in. Now, if I was the one just speaking here, you can make the accusation that I have no basis to even say that we were in fact created. But because I am taking this from the, the book of Genesis, from the word of God, that is the authority that I am speaking from. And if, if, if I have a basis, then I'm going to be speaking about what image we were created in and for what purpose. 
in Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. This is God speaking to himself, the Trinity. They have relationship. And he speaks it to, he says, this is what we're going to do. Boom. Let us make man in our own image, and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over all the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, uh, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Guys, God created us with a purpose. To be rulers over the things that he created. Why? I always have to ask the question, why? I can't just leave it there. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That sounds like purpose to me. And we are to be his likeness on earth. This is, the, this is why he created us to be rulers. He created us to be his likeness on earth. To rule with him. And it's definitely different than the messed up myth of how the Babylonian culture kind of got it. It sounds totally different. But they're not the only cultures that messed this up. Just in, just in this last the, the, the few hundred years, we've seen Marxism, communism. We see this in all kinds of other, even, even it's creeping into American culture, this idea that we were born to be slaves. But we were meant to reflect his glory. Amen? I want to share with you, uh, if you guys could go with me to 2 Corinthians 3.18, I want you guys to open up your Bibles. We're going to be going through the Bible in a lot of different places, so keep your Bibles out. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We were already there, Jesse. <laughs> By the way, my wife was coming in this morning, and she's like, hey, on the Christian radio, they were, they were, there was a, a message on about us being the glory of God. It's like, I love how God just keeps us all, his church, in sync, right? It's the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to us broadly and here within our families. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says in the ESV version, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as, a, as in a mirror, the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, that is, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. What is he saying? Is that we are, in fact, are being transformed and being changed into the glory of God. So at Garden of Eden, we were the glory of God. Sin messed that all up. And now God is taking us back to a state of the glory of God. Wrap it up. Okay, I'm done. I can go off. There's worship team. Can... That's it. But I want you to hear that we are the glory of God on this earth. This is why the enemy wants to cloud and distort and twist and prevent us from being the people that God intended us to be. 
He wants to control us. We had a purpose from the very beginning. I, I have this thing here. You guys know what it is? It's a mirror. Yeah. Um, we all know why we use these things. It's to actually to see if we have zits or like, you know, ear hair. Got to worry about that now. Um, but when I look at myself in the mirror, I see a reflection of me. But this is how God posed the mirror. This is who we are designed to be. Can you guys see my face? If I can hold it. I had three cups of coffee this morning, so I'm trying to hold this steady. Do you see my face? Once I get to you. Yeah, yeah, see ya. Woohoo. Uh, so, yeah, the guy's over here. Yeah. Do you, so you see me. See, this is, this is the idea that we reflect an image. We were designed to be this mirror on earth, the glory of God. We ourselves are not the glory. It is the glory of God that is reflected off of us and through us. We all know what that's for. <clears throat> Bear with me for a second. Okay. Yes. This is our sin. This is our sinful nature. I really hope that actually broke it because I wasn't sure if this was acrylic or something else. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, man, I got a double whammy there. There's a mirror on the other side of it, too. Here, let me just dump this out in here. Because this is now a very dangerous weapon. Okay? Sin leaves us looking like this. You can't see. It's like a kaleidoscope. And that kind of explains, that kind of, when you think about this, how many images you're seeing right now, that really speaks to our culture and our world. There's a bazillion little images being portrayed in this one image. We have images and distortion. You can't really make out what it is. And that's who we become when sin enters into our life. I'm going to put this here just for a second. We were meant to be a mirror that reflects God. But we have so many voices and so many things out there just bringing that distortion. Our own sin came, shattered us. Our own lusts and our own desires, our wants and our way produced this kind of result. And it's not just our wants and our lusts because the word of God says that the devil comes in and twists those things and, and then to produce something. It, it, he, the deceiver comes in and twists the truth and it's like a virus that goes and, and it, it, it takes over the body to produce its end, which is death. In James 1, 14, 15, if you want to follow me there, you can. James 1, 14 through 15. It said here, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. 
And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. To me, that sounds like a slave mentality to me, a death mentality. Not only does our mirror stop reflecting uh, the, the perfect reflection of God, um, but the mirror now, like I said, became a sharp tool. It, it leaves us broken. Sin leaves us broken, and it, it, it leaves us shattered. And it, it produces these shards in us that actually become harmful to the people around us. We become harmful to the people around us because of sin. Satan's goal was to make man a slave. But God wants to make man an heir. If we're living under the wrong image, we're never going to be able to live in the absolute truth of God. If we're living in this messed up image of who God is, we're never going to be able to live the way that we were originally designed to be. In Romans 1, 18 through 24, I would like for all of us to be there. It's also in the ESV version if you have it on you. But literally this one verse we can camp out in, this whole message could be on this one verse. Romans 1, 18 through 24. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. God has shown it. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Going back to Genesis, God's glory. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's kind of like that, that virus, or that, like, it's almost like pouring ink into a glass of water. It just, you can just see it kind of creeping in and changing the heart. It darkens the heart. They became foolish. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their heart, which is the flesh, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Guys, this is our culture we live in. We live in a culture where your bodies mean nothing and they're just given out to all kinds of dishonoring. Industry is based on this because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Can I get an amen? We were designed to have dominion over all these things. God said it. He had the intent when he created us from the very beginning. But instead we make idols out of those things we're supposed to rule over. 
You know, you can actually see this in our science rooms, in our classrooms, and the things that were being taught that we were originated from monkeys. This is not an evolution versus creation myth or uh, discussion, but what it is is the reality is, is that they're forcing down something without proof down our throats to contradict the things that we believe in in the Word of God. They, in fact, are doing the very same thing that the Babylonian culture did by twisting humanity. You know, we were created to worship, and that's part of our original design. But what is the image that we're choosing to worship? You know, what, what, we all reflect something, like this mirror, we reflect something to everyone else in this world. What is it that you are reflecting? What is the image that you are reflecting? What are you striving for? What are, what are the things that mean something to you that you're going after? You, uh, you know, your ambitions, your goals, the things that you're putting your hands to, things you're spending all of your time to. Is it worldly wealth? Is it, is it fame or fortune? Is it respect? Is it things that, you know, rip, reputation, my reputation is on the line here. Are we going after things and reflecting, not the image of God, but the things that actually weigh us down and make us slave? What about other addictions? Are we, are we reflecting drug addictions, drug abuse, or sexual immorality? Are we reflecting that? How about um, gossip? Are we reflecting gossip? How about media? It's kind of like honey. Too much of a good thing will make your, your stomach sour. You know, are we reflecting the world Alcoholism. Or how about this, being right all the time? (laughs) (laughs) It's a sin. Being right all the time is sin. Because you cannot be right all the time, but you put on that persona that you can't be wrong. What is that image you're reflecting? Now the dignity of humanity is restored when the view of who God is is restored. His image. Monkeys and slaves... We've lost. If you're a monkey or a slave, you have lost all dignity of humanity. And that view is going to skew everything. And honestly, that view is going to take us to a place where we're okay with abortion as a, as a, as a community. We're okay with abor- abortion. Uh, we're, we'll be okay with murdering our elderly, euthanasia. We're going to be okay with racial genocide. It's happening in other countries. It may not be happening here necessarily, but it's happening in other countries, like right now. This is because of the skew, because the worldview. Our view of who God is has been distorted, and our dignity of humanity has been distorted as well. When we exchange the truth for a lie, we lose the concept of human accountability. There's no meaning, and therefore there's no reason to value human life. No, no reason to value anything, actually. And we have no basis for reason or even discovering his logic. I have to take this back. You know, people, when we get into conversations and we start talking about um, deep stuff, you know, everybody wants to say, hey, well, think logically about this. I am thinking logically about this. I'm trying to discover his logic in all things. Again, God called us, remember First Peter, have a, have a reason for what you believe and why. Don't go around like a robot, just spurting out every little Christian cliche thing that you were listening to. And, oh, that's good. I'm going to use that next week. I'm going to use that with my friend. 
you know, when we get into an argument, when we have a clear view of who God is, we, get, we can come closer to the Creator Himself. We can reflect with greater clarity the originally designed purpose of our lives. In James 4, 8, it says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. I love this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. <laughs> and purify you, your hearts, you double-minded. We've got to be real. We have to be real. We are all there. That's, that's, a, that's an action, people. That is an action that we can all do. Purify ourselves, you sinners. How do we do that? We get closer to the Creator. There's something interesting about proximity and God. Now, God had always intended to be in relationship with us. You can see that in Genesis when he walked with us in the cool of the morning. And when I say us, I'm talking Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked with us in the cool of the morning. I love that. It's one of my favorite parts of scripture is this aspect of proximity, how close God gets to us. In Proverbs 8.31, you need to hear this. He, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Guys, you are his delight. Stop right there. Stop thinking about everything you need to do. And hear this. You are God's delight. You, were, you are God's delight. And he delights in the fact that we are all here. When I hear that, it makes God far more approachable. Not like these messed up myths that we hear. Not like the world. It may not be using the same ter- terminology, but the world wants to demote us as humanity to a source of slaving, slavery. And through a guise of individualism, they pour on this garbage to lock us down. Because if they can get your eyes off of God, they can easily ensnare you to slavery. When our view of God is correct, we can reflect him and we can know who we are. Heirs. The, the question again, slaves or heirs? We're not little puppets played with by a distant God. But we are co-laborers with the work of God in all of his creation that it continually is being created. In Galatians 4, 4, it says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. How powerful Galatians 4, 7. So you no longer are a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. In Galatians 3.29, it says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wait, wait, so you're saying that he totally changed where I came from. He totally changed my lineage the moment I said yes to Jesus. He completely changed us and ingrained us into the spiritual lineage. His son, his daughter, 
a co-heir with Christ himself. This is the big idea. We need to understand that we are heirs of his kingdom. And he, we are, you know what? I love this because we were made to rule over his things, right? So I find it funny that we have so much pushback against that, especially in the, uh, in the, in the scholastic world. The scholastic world we, we, there's these arguments like, how dare you think that it's all about us? What about the birds? What about the trees? What about the animals? And Yeah, absolutely. God gave us the dominion over these things. That's why we have the fish and game. <laughs> I'm serious. Who's a hunter in this room? I appreciate... I'm not a very good hunter. I'm a quasi-hunter. Um, I almost shot a squirrel out of boredom, but I realized that would be sin. And God called me to be a, a caretaker of the things that he created. That's why I love fish and game. Hunting is awesome. I love being out there. But what if we took the mentality that we could just blow everything away that we wanted to without laws, without restriction? We would have entire parts of his creation completely gone. But no, we have people that care about the things that God created and have, and so I want, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it blows my mind because God ingrained within us the desire to care for the things he created. Any gardeners in the house? None. Okay, one, that's awesome. Two, three, all right. So there's a few. And, and I have to say, this is, I hated it as a kid, but now that I'm an adult, I love the aspect of growing things. I don't know why. It's kind of weird. But I love the fact that God creates things and you see things grown. This is what it was built into us. You may not be a gardener or a hunter, but there's the aspect of caring and caring even for one another. This is his mandate to us as humanity to be rulers over the things he created. That's the perfect, that's that's. That's utopia. That's the Garden of Eden right there. That was God's charge to man even before woman came into the picture. This is the story of God and the, and the way he had intended it from the very beginning. This is absolute truth, veritas. There is no plan B. We are his plan A for redemption from the very beginning. Christ in us. Do you think that your cities will see transformation? We're all so concerned about seeing transformation in our cities to make it better, right? Again, it goes back to why we were created, to have dominion over all things. We all desire to see, we don't want to see downtown turn into a pile of rubble. We don't want to see, we get upset when we see trash on the street. But even more so, how about the families? that make up our city. We want to see change in our city, but it's not going to happen by itself. The only way that the cities are going to see change is if we understand and see the, the things that God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. We're recognizing that God is working through us, and we are actively engaging with him, acting like the heirs God called us to be. That is the only way that our cities will change. It's not going to come through fundraising. It's not going to come through, you know, uh, programs and whatnot. All of those things are super good. But until the individual, you, each and every one of you, realize that your mandate for being alive is to care for and rule over the things that God created, 
nothing's going to change. You can't pass the buck to Jesse. You can't pass the buck to your spiritual leader, your other pastors, your, your, the people that you think are so spiritual. It, it comes in each and every one of you. The places and the people that God puts you in, involved in, that is your mandate. That is your mission. God has called you to be rulers. And you don't need permission. He's given it to you. To begin to act and to know. Man, for me, I feel like the, the uh, authority that God birthed in my heart when coming to realize this a few years ago, my, my whole outlook on life completely changed. I'm no longer a victim of the, the, my upbringing. I'm not a victim of the things that I experienced. God is not the God that would hurt me and abuse me and, and throw me around like I didn't matter or marginalize me and keep me down. That is not God, because what I saw was a God that actually, it was like this broken mirror. I didn't, I didn't reflect God at all, because I couldn't even see him. What I want to share with you right now is that nowhere in any religion can you be made new. Jesus is the one claim to fame in that place. He has the one with authority to say, I will make you new. Guys, when a mirror is broken, it gets thrown out into the fire. There's no point in it. You can't use this for anything unless you're making a music video or something. You, you, you can't use it. It's thrown out. So many people feel like they should be thrown out. There's some people that come to church every Sunday looking for a shred of hope because they feel like they're no good because they, they don't reflect God. Jesus is the only one. That's why we say you can't earn salvation. You can't earn salvation. All, all you can do is respond to salvation. Jesus is the one who will take this mirror and make it whole again. He says this in Revelations 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That is what we're seeking with this series, Veritas. Truth. The truth. The absolute truth. That we can have an answer for what we believe and why. So that we can live out the mission God has called us to live out. What is the, what is the, the reflection that you're emanating Ask yourselves that question and, and don't stop until you have an answer. What's the reflection I'm reflecting? Whose image? What image? Even if you think that you reflect the image of God, and I hope that you all do, know that you can reflect more. Know that you need to draw close to God even more. I don't want to see in this mirror an image that looks distant. I want that image to be right there so that I can see the details of my God's face. God will restore the mirror. God will reflect his image in you. God will be the glory, will make you the glory of God on this earth. You are heirs of his kingdom. And you were always meant to be that. Let's pray. Jesus, the only way that we could draw near to you is, is to be actively pursuing the relationship. It doesn't come through just reading your Bible occasionally or our Bibles occasionally, Father. 
or praying once in a great while, but it takes relationship. And I pray, Father God, that every person here will draw closer to you now more than ever. That they will desire you now more than ever, Father God, that they would desire the relationship. And, and to all of you, if you feel like you have prayed and you've prayed and you've journaled and you've been journaling and you're like, I just don't hear the voice of God. I don't know that voice. I, I don't really, I don't see the face of God. Keep praying. Keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying and keep reading his word and continue in it. It takes watering. It takes a relationship. If you had a relationship with someone that you truly loved and only spent five minutes with that person, you wouldn't get very far. You wouldn't really know them. And and, uh, you need to know the Lord God. Father, I pray for that perseverance. Jesus, the strength to, to go beyond what they feel is capable, humanly capable. I pray, God, that they would draw closer to you more than ever, that we all will, Jesus, see your face clearer, that the image that we bear is so strikingly like you that our cities and our families, the people that we're praying for in our families, see you. God, you are in the business of redeeming all things to yourself. And we want to co-labor with you and partner with you, and this is it. It is not rocket science, and it is not too difficult. My crazy in-laws or, or brothers or sisters or moms or dads are not too far off from you. Our best friends, our coworkers and our teachers, our employees, they're not too far from you. God, give us all the capacity to reflect your image clearly. And in doing so, God, let us experience the greatest joy of being the heirs of the kingdom of God you called us to be, acting like kings, acting like queens. Thank you, Jesus. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.